Brittany. As a veteran educator, going on 25 years of experience now, I found that I often felt uncomfortable addressing Indigenous perspectives in my classroom. I'm a non-Indigenous teacher and believed I just didn't possess the knowledge to effectively address these perspectives in an authentic and a respectful way. I agree, Lorianne. Topics such as colonialism, racism, or residential schools are topics that I think many teachers just don't feel comfortable talking about, and as a result, they just avoid it altogether. It was something that was never taught to me when I was going to school, and I just don't feel like I have the background knowledge to now teach my students about it. I've tried a few times to incorporate cultural teachings, but honestly, looking back, I've done it at a very surface level. I wasn't really doing what was asked or expected of me as a teacher. As educators, though, we can't shy away from uncomfortable topics out of fear of offending or just not doing it right. What we need to do is we need to look for support from one another in locating resources and in implementing Indigenous education. So in this episode, we're going to be talking to Jody Latondre. She's an Indigenous Perspectives Consultant for the Sask River School Division. And she's going to share with us some resources and how educators can address Indigenous perspectives and really take on these topics that maybe they feel uncomfortable doing. We hope you enjoy this episode. Jody Latondre is the Indigenous Perspectives Consultant with Sask River School Division in Prince Albert, Saskatchewan. She works with educators across the division to help educate and assist teachers to incorporate Indigenous perspectives and worldviews into their classroom and school setting. We are excited to have Jody with us at the teacher table today. Hi, Jody. Thanks for joining us. Hi, ladies. It's nice to be here. Let's get started. And I just was wondering if you could begin by sharing a little about yourself and your journey as an educator. Okay, so um, as you shared, my name is Jody Latondre, and I'm the Indigenous Perspectives Consultant for Sask Rivers Public School Division. I'd like to begin today by acknowledging the land that we are situated on, which is Treaty 6 territory here in Prince Albert, and the homeland of the Dakota and Métis people. And so I've I feel it's important that we always always acknowledge that land, but especially today in this um, podcast, because people listening may be from other traditional territories and homelands, and it's always um, important that we acknowledge the land that we are privileged to be on. So today I'm coming um, at you from Treaty 6 territory and the traditional homeland of the Dakota and Métis people. So um, my education, I guess, began with Suntap Prince Albert, and I'm a 2000 graduate, and I interned in a grade one class in Shelbrooke. And that's important because I'm trained elementary, but I got hired for a teaching assignment at Westmore Public High School here in Prince Albert. And when you're a 20 something year old and starting out, you take a teaching job wherever you can get one. And um, it was the best career move ever because I stayed there for 17 years. So pretty much all of my teaching career um, in the classroom was at Westmore. In those years, I got hired actually to begin with to teach drama and native studies, English language arts nine and social studies nine. And then in that time, I had two maternity leaves 
And both times I came back to different teaching assignments. So I taught a little bit of English 10, English 20. And then I um, taught alternate education grade 7, 8 for quite a few years in that time. And then at the end of my time at Westmore, I went back to English 9. And I was also the following their voices facilitator at Westmore. So in... 24, in the spring of 2014, they put out a call for following their voices schools and um, Westmore was selected. And the principals at the time asked if I would be the facilitator. No one really knew what that meant. They had no idea what following their voices was, but we just knew that we needed to do something different because attendance was very poor and student engagement was very low. And so for credit attainment purposes, um, we really felt like we needed to do something different and following their voices definitely supported that. And so we were involved right from the field test right through um, Westmore is still following their voices school. And so in 2018-19, I was asked, I was seconded to the ministry as a provincial following their voices facilitator. And then um, for the last three years, um, I've been in my current role as Indigenous Respectives Consultant. Uh, I have also, um, when I went to teach Alt-Ed, alt it was because I had done my Inclusive Ed Certificate through the University of Regina. And then in July of 2019, just a couple of years ago, I completed the Masters of Education in Curriculum and Construction through GDI and U of R. So that's a little bit about me. I'm in my third year in this role, as I said, and I'm always learning more about who I am and my story as a Métis woman. And so my family history involves a lot of colonization and um, the family stories aren't necessarily there. However, I've worked alongside and walked alongside and learned from um, elders from across the province in my work with Following Their Voices and in my current role. And so the elders who have influenced my, my story the most are Elder... Wilma Felix Schrader from Sturgeon Lake First Nation, Isabel Impey from Cumberland House, who now lives in Prince Albert, Liz Satie, of course, a well-known Prince Albert elder, uh, Albert Scott, who lives in Saskatoon, but is from Kiniston Soto Nation, and of course, knowledge keeper Michael Relland from GDI, um, and who many of us know from Suntep Prince Albert, as, and who he worked alongside and learned from elder Danny Musqua from a Soto elder. And so learning from these elders and knowledge keepers has been a blessing. And I found that those teachings really impacted who I am as an educator, but more importantly, as a person. Thanks for sharing, Jody, some of your educational journey or teaching journey along the way and your personal journey too, as you learn and grow about, you know, who you are as an Indigenous woman. Um, as you know, Jody, we completed a survey of about 50 local educators before starting this podcast. We found a couple of common themes from the survey that emerged. First, we found that teachers understand the importance of ind Indigenous education, but they don't feel especially confident when it comes time to incorporate it into their classroom. Why do you think that is? And how can we as teachers overcome this fear we may be feeling or the uncertainty that comes with that? I firmly believe that all teachers genuinely care for the students they are blessed to serve. And we care deeply about our community. So I feel like it's because teachers, they want to do what's right and what's best for their students, but they don't want to offend or to cause any harm. And so they feel like 
by avoiding it, sometimes it's easier um, to not embed Indigenous ways of knowing because you may offend others or you may not do it in the right way. However, um, we are all on a learning journey and we need to respect where each other is at. And so as long as you approach it with the best of intentions and with a good heart and with a good mind um, and in a good way, and I'll explain what that means a little bit later, um, you can't go wrong. Um, or two, the First Nations, Métis, and Inuit supports in your division. And if that isn't available, I encourage you to reach out to the Indigenous community, families in your school, or to resources shared in this podcast. So I'll touch on a few resources that would be good starting points as well. Embedding Indigenous ways of knowing into the classroom environment and practice is a journey, and it's important to recognize and honour that we are all in a different place in this journey. When you learn about Indigenous ways of knowing, like most anything you learn that's new, you soon realize that there's more to learn. The more you learn, the less you know, and that's okay. So as long as you approach it with a humble and open heart and with good intentions, it will all fall into place. Thanks, Jody. Secondly, the survey suggested that educators are trying to do this in isolation and mostly getting their resources from the internet. What is some advice you can offer to teachers when looking for resources and what are some things they should watch for? COVID has changed our way of doing business, um, but it's also a blessing. And so in March, when we were sent home and to work from home, our Indigenous Receptives team, Heather and Tyson and myself, created a a Google site full of the resources that we recommend. So it was something that we've been trying to do for the last two years, but COVID gave us the time and the focus to do it. And so when we were creating the Google site, we discussed as a team, we often had common um, common ideas for ways that resources would qualify for the site and what we consider to be a great resource. But we came together and created a checklist for vetting Indigenous resources. And so you can find um, the Sask Rivers Public School Division's Indigenous Respectives Google site on the Sask Rivers website, srsd119.ca, in Teachers and Curriculum section. However, in that Google site, there's a checklist for vetting Indigenous resources. And all of the resources on there, there's lots of great websites out there with lots of um, authentic Indigenous content. However, the resources that we share on the site are definitely ones that are reflected in Saskatchewan curriculum. So we've really focused on promoting resources for pre-K to grade 12 on the Google site that are easily connected to Saskatchewan curriculum. Another thing that we consider when vetting resources is whether or not the author or illustrator is Indigenous. And so we promote Indigenous authors and illustrators, but we also look for those authors and illustrators who maybe are settlers or non-Indigenous folks, but they've worked with Indigenous elders and in Indigenous communities and present the work in a way that aligns with traditional teachings. And so we are always looking for the authentic voice, the story told from an Indigenous lens. Um, Does the story honour Indigenous ways of knowing, doing, oral or creation stories? And does it reflect the diversity of the perspectives of the Cree, the the Lakota, the Dakota, the Nakota, the Nakaway, the Dene, the Métis and the Inuit people in Saskatchewan? And so really that's our focus um, for all of the resources that are vetted there. So it would be a great place to start for those of you who are just beginning Um, We were hoping to promote it in such a way that it's your go-to to to get a foundation for what you're looking for, for pre-K to grade 12 curriculum, and then go from there if you need more. 
Um, another thing that we really um, look for in resources is does it portray a modern and accurate information? And so um, when you're doing a Google search, you may get a lot of information, but it may not be relevant to Saskatchewan and, and some of it isn't accurate. And so like we teach our students, we need to really be critical of um, the resources that we find on the web. And so as an Indigenous Perspectives team, we've kind of done that work for you. And so if you can access that Google site and it's open to the public, and most of the resources on there, even ones created in SAS Rivers are open as well. There's a few that are password protected, but most of it is wide open and it's just really a, a gathering of vetted resources. Teaching each other by Goulet and Goulet um, is one that I recommend and I'll talk about it in a bit. And Cultural Teachings, First Nations Protocols and Methodologies by Saskatchewan Indigenous Cultural Centre is one where um, if you don't know what a feast is or if you don't know what a sweat is or TP teachings, it has a really brief introduction and it was written by elders from throughout Saskatchewan. So those are two great resources that I would recommend as well. We'll make sure we uh, put the website and resources you just mentioned in the show notes so that everybody can access them as well. So I'm just wondering, Jody, like you mentioned the Google site with some great resources or links to resources, but do you have um, some favorite resources to offer to other teachers? So one that I would totally recommend is um, it was a website created by the Royal Saskatchewan Museum and the Saskatchewan Teachers Federation. And they worked together to create a grade eight, K, kindergarten to grade eight sacred teachings, includes videos by, from Elder Hazel Dixon and lesson plans that have already made the connections to Saskatchewan curriculum. So it, it shares all of the seven sacred teachings, uh, three five minute video for each um, with the elder and then lesson plans that are, are actually embedded in Saskatchewan curriculum, mostly in English language arts and social studies, but there are a few science outcomes met as well. So that is one that I highly recommend. And another one that I recommend for um, people looking into um, science videos on constellations and anything to do with the sky or star is um, knowledge keeper Wilfred Buck. Anything that he puts out there, if you just Google Wilfred Buck, you will come up with a lot of resources for the sky teachings. And um, he is from Manitoba and he's a Cree knowledge keeper, but the stories that he teaches, the teachings that he shares are very pertinent to Saskatchewan. Um, yeah, so those are two that I would definitely recommend. So for all our teachers out there who are just getting started, whether they um, are new to teaching or maybe just find themselves in a position where they, you know, don't have a lot of background knowledge. Um, is there any other resources that you might recommend to them just to um, increase their not background knowledge and why this is important? Yeah, so actually on our Google site, the videos aren't um, categorized by grade band and that's on purpose. And that's because not like the videos you probably wouldn't share with a pre-kindergarten to grade two classroom. But they're quick two to three minute videos, some are five minutes for the teachers to watch, to give themselves that prior knowledge so they can make the connections with their students and the stories that their students are sharing. So there's lots of videos on there that I would um, definitely recommend as teacher PD. We also have a professional development section on the Google site that provides videos for teachers to um, gain some of that prior knowledge as well and any upcoming professional development opportunities, either on Facebook Live, let's say, or other 
platforms as well as SAS Grower's PD opportunities are outlined on the Google site professional development. So really our Google site is our go-to for lots of this, um, but lots of it can be really quick, easy. There's a search bar in the top right-hand corner that you can search um, for videos that will help guide your teaching as well. Thanks for sharing that, Jody. What a great start for teachers, you know, like I said, who may have some fear or may not feel comfortable or, or people who are new to teaching, you know, that's a great resource for them as a, a start off, a go-to for sure. I feel like I just learned about a whole bunch of new resources today. So <laughs> thanks for that. Some teachers find themselves in a position with limited access to support like yourself, Jody. They may work a school division with no Indigenous perspectives coach or consultant and have limited access to elders or knowledge keepers. What advice would you offer teachers who may need some help or guidance with limited access to in-school coaching? So my number one advice would be don't devoid those. Um, typically it's indicators under the outcomes that are First Nations and Métis specific. Please don't avoid those. The Indigenous students in your classroom and non-Indigenous students benefit when those indicators are taught. And so seek um, support from the community. Attend community events because that's where your connections are going to be made. The foundation for Indigenous ways of knowing is through relationship. And so get out into your community or neighbouring communities. Um, attend community ceremonies or events such as a powwow or round dance. Um, and really just connect with people and learn from your community. Um, that's one place to start. And it's an authentic place to start because then you're going to get the stories that are relevant to those students in your classroom stories as well. Listen to your students' stories and make connections with their families. I feel is a really great place to start. But one warning is that we can't assume all of the Indigenous students we are blessed to work with have a connection to their traditional stories or teachings. And so oftentimes the classroom may be the first place that they get to share those teachings or get to learn about them. And so, um, yeah, finding a good way to do it and making those connections um, is a great start. I think another issue that some teachers may encounter is how to embed content with, with, within the curriculum and get away from teaching in a tokenistic way. How can teachers make the jump from embed, embedding Indigenous content and leaving the surface level or the tokenism behind going beyond just the arts and crafts and feeling like they've covered it? How can they dive in a little deeper into the Indigenous content? A book that we that I've already mentioned but that we promote is Teaching Each Other um, by Goulet and Goulet and in that book they present a model of effective teaching for Indigenous students and it's um, it's a circular model like in many Indigenous teachings and it begins with the relationship with the student. And so we don't need to necessarily focus on content right away, but it's in building those authentic relationships with students, listening to their story and providing um, opportunities, creating opportunities for students to share their story and who they are. And so really it's that relationship with the student. And then the next quadrant moves to relationships among students. So getting students talking to each other and using oral language and celebrating each other and actually knowing each other's names and a little bit about each other and that, I think we do that often with elementary students, but then when you get older, um, it becomes forgotten. And so it's the importance of building that relationship with the student and then promoting the relationship among students in your classroom. And then it's the connection to process. So what strategies are you using? 
with the curriculum? What, which ways are you promoting it? What ways are you teaching? What's, what, how are you structuring for success for all learners in your classroom? And so if you're accommodating those relationships with the student, relationships among students, and then you're connecting to the process, then you connect to the content. And so that's the Indigenous um, model of effective teaching for Indigenous students, but I would argue that it's a model for effective teaching for all students. And so when connecting to the content, you have to connect it to curriculum, of course, and maintain a student focus, but it's connecting also to those relationships beyond the classroom. Who can you bring in to form to strengthen those relationships and build that connection to content? And so you don't always have to be seen as the expert, and I would warn that you probably shouldn't always be seen as the expert, but relying on outside sources, whether it's a video, whether it's making those connections to um, a story that a student has shared or to a family story, bringing in elders, making that connection to content um, even that much more rich for your students. And so really it starts with that relationship piece and then the connection to the process and then the connection to content. And to me, that's Indigenous ways of knowing. And so when an elder teaches you something or you're blessed to work alongside an elder, you're going to build relationship with that elder first. Then they're going to um, expand that relationship. Then you're going to learn by watching, by listening, and then you'll they'll work beside you. It's the I do, we do, you do model, but it's a lot of I do, and then we do, we do, we do, we do with an elder, and then you do. And so we can't forget that in our classrooms that we can't expect our students to be able to just all of a sudden learn something by attempting it once, or you have to work alongside them and learn that. And so really it's a lot of what teachers already do. It's best practice in education, but um, people think that Indigenous ways of knowing is something abstract, something totally different than what they're already doing. But if you're building relationships with students and you're promoting relationships among students and you're connecting and teaching the process in the learning, and then you're bringing in the content, you are authentically embedding Indigenous ways of knowing. And so um, the second part of your question, though, about tokenism is an interesting one because we always worry about being tokenistic. And that is a fear. And we don't want to be tokenistic in what we're doing. So if you come at it with the best of intentions and a good heart and you know your why, you can't go wrong. And so at the start of the year, when you set up that poster with um, maybe it's an Indigenous teaching on it and you put it on your wall in your classroom, that could easily be seen as tokenistic to someone who doesn't know you or what's going on in your classroom. And it could become tokenistic if you never refer to that poster again, or if what you're doing in your classroom doesn't reflect that teaching. But if that poster becomes alive every day and you're referring to it and you're talking to the kids about what that teaching means and the kids can tell you um, what that teaching means what, to an outsider who comes in, then it's no longer tokenistic. So one example is in lots of elementary classrooms and early years classrooms, there's the TP reading nooks and there are four sided cloth canvas TP. And so it's easily tokenistic if there's no TP teachings in that classroom or if the kids don't even know that that's a TP, right? And so um, I feel like those TPs are okay as long as TP teachings, the students know that those aren't authentic TPs, that TPs are sacred and ceremonial to many Indigenous people. Um, and then the teachings with each of the 15 poles and in a, in a traditional authentic teepee um, and a ceremonial teepee. I believe if you give those teachings, then you can use that teepee as a reading nook because they know that it's a sacred space traditionally 
And if somebody like myself or somebody else comes in and asks the students, hey, what do you, can you tell me about a TV? They can say, oh, the first poll is obedience and um, be able to share some of those teachings. They won't share it all. And we don't expect that. But as long as some of that foundational, those foundational teachings have been shared, it's no longer tokenistic. And so I feel as teachers, we often judge <laughs> as people, we judge each other. And so we have to be careful not to do that because what we feel is tokenistic on a wall could be something that's totally embedded into everything that classroom does, right? And so relationships with your students and you're promoting relationships among students and you're connecting to the process and then to the content. And that content is extended to the walls in your classroom, to the arrangement of your desks, um, maybe not in COVID times, um, but hey, in uh, post-COVID times, I would hope it would extend to the whole environment in your classroom and, and in your school. And so it's also reflected on the hallways and the walls throughout the school. Even now, I would even extend it to the outside. It's it's exciting work, but it's difficult work. And if you need to start by putting up a poster and you're feeling, oh my gosh, this is so tokenistic, refer to that poster in your classroom. Talk to your students about it and it's no longer tokenistic. And it'll be, and you need to start somewhere. And sometimes that's the easiest is a purchased item that is just sits on your desk. And sometimes um, I've had a teacher share with me, she came to our uh, traditional medicines workshop. We went out and harvested sage and sweetgrass. And all she did was bring those sacred medicines back to her classroom. She hadn't done anything with them. She hadn't even braided the sweetgrass yet. And she had them sitting on her desk or in a corner of her room. And it was a kindergarten student who made a connection to those medicines. And they had a big long story. And she had no idea that this student had any type of traditional teachings. And so sometimes it's it's just in those little things that we do that provided that student with a voice. And the more voice and more choice that we can provide students, the better off we will be. Well, Jody, thank you so much for joining us at the teacher table today. Uh, we truly appreciate your input and expertise on this subject. You know, it just seems as educators, if we're coming with good intentions, an open heart, an open mind, we're not expected to be experts. You know, um, and if we have some fear, there are resources out there that can help us, whether they're online or community resources, but just that importance of building relationships and connections, making those connections to our students within our school community and within our community in large. So thanks again, Jody, for joining us at the teacher table.